I'm passionate about bringing high quality math instruction into every child's classroom. That's why I'm here. I believe that all children should have the opportunity to develop as a mathematician, to develop the mindset, to feel and believe they are mathematicians. And in order to do that, they have to explore real world problems. They have to bring their experiences and knowledge to that problem and solve it in any way that makes sense to them. And that's why I believe that problem types are so important. The problem types are the avenue. They are the way we get our students to deep understanding of math. So today we're going to jump into all things problem types and why they matter. 101 of Honest Math Chat. This is Honest Math Chat, and I'm Mona Eel of Mona Math. I'm a former math avoider turned math teacher cheerleader, and I'm going to get real honest with you about math classroom culture, engagement, math discussions, and all the student-centered instructional practices to help you empower your students to love and understand math deeply. So every Monday on Honest Math Chat, we're going to work together to make our classrooms places where students see themselves as mathematicians. But let's not wait. If you're ready to engage every learner and get them pumped about math, you've got to use math discussions. I welcome you to download the guide to engaging math discussions right now. Go to monamath.com slash discussions. You'll get all my best tips on how to guide on the side while getting every child meaningfully engaged in discussing their math thinking. I first learned about problem types when I was diving into the research of cognitively guided instruction in the book, Children's Mathematics. The group of researchers studied children and found that when given open-ended questions, students move through a progression of understanding when given no explicit instruction. When I talk with teachers about this, they are often mind blown. Most of them don't believe me. It's really hard for us to wrap our teacher brains around the fact that children can develop an understanding with no explicit instruction. However, when we think about children and how they learn, it actually makes a whole lot of sense. We don't teach babies to walk. They explore. They make mistakes. They watch others. They imitate. They fail. They get back up. Here's another example. I'm not teaching my five-year-old how to play the piano, but he's exploring. We have like an electric keyboard. He explores it every time he walks past it. He's matching tones, right, in different octaves. He's learning how they differ as you go down or up. He's learning. I didn't teach my third graders what it meant to pass out the markers fairly to all tables, but I gave them the markers and they figured it out. So what if we thought of our job as providing opportunities, in a safe environment for students to explore a real world problem and then solve it in whatever way made sense to them. That's real learning. And over time, as cognitively guided instruction supports, student strategies will get more efficient and more effective. And you'll see students, like back to that third grade example I gave, you'll see the students start to pass out those markers two at a time instead of one at a time. Or maybe they'll start to come up with a plan before they've even passed them out. They'll know that they have five tables 
And each table is going to get at least 10 markers. And they can get 10 because they know they have at least 50 markers. So they can start by passing out 10 first and then divvying up what's left. So one of the things that came out of Carpenter and his colleagues' work in cognitively guided instruction are problem types. There are 15 problem types that children are exposed to. Joining problems, separating problems, part-part-whole, comparing problems, and multiplication and division problems. Now notice that they're labeled joining. That's the action. Separating, the action. And then differently is part-part-whole. When a lot of times, when I'm in K and one classrooms, I see part-part-whole and joining questions often treated similarly. Now, there are three problems types in joining and three types in separating. And the difference between each type is where the unknown is. So is the unknown at the result? Is it at the change? Or is it at the start? Let's look at a start unknown joining problem. So Willard has a bowl of bolts while he's working on his car. He goes into his toolbox and he gets 14 more bolts. Now there are 22 bolts in the bowl. How many bolts were there in the bowl when he started? How would you solve this problem? Maybe you would start at 22, like the problem says, and draw 22 circles and then cross off those 14 that he got out of his toolbox. And then whatever's not crossed off would be what he started with. More likely, though, you would start with what you have, 14. And then you would count up until you got to 22. Now I want you to think about what would the equation be that matches your work, the strategy you chose. If you drew the 22 circles and crossed out 14, that would be 22 subtract 14 equals mystery box, right? Or unknown. If you did it by counting up, it would be 14 plus mystery box equals 22. Now, I know this can be hard to follow. So if you go to monamath.com slash 101, I'll post a picture of what I'm doing right here on my paper in case it's difficult to visualize this. So we ask students to write these two equations in addition to showing their reasoning and making a model of their thinking because sometimes the way we solve is different than how the problem is written. And this is an important aspect to notice and wonder about. Students can notice patterns and really conceptualize like start, change, and result when writing equations. All of a sudden, those missing add-in problems and those start unknowns aren't as hard because we've taught students to conceptualize the context or the story instead of focusing on writing the equation that matches the problem and solving it with a specific strategy. Instead, we've invited students into this story and asked them to think about this real situation and solving it in a way that makes sense to them. Okay, separate questions are those that are often thought of as subtraction. The action is something is leaving or being taken away. Again, three problem types based on the location of the unknown. And then we have part, part, whole. So you can have an unknown part or you can have an unknown whole. I wonder what you think would be more complex for your students. Would it be having an unknown whole or having an unknown part? Here's an example. I have 21 shirts. 13 are blue and the rest are red. How many red shirts do I have? That would be a part unknown versus a whole unknown is like this. There are 13 blue shirts and eight red shirts in my closet. 
how many shirts are there? So which one would be more complex for your students? And then we have compare problems, which lend themselves well to measurement. So we have compare quantity unknown, which is something like mom has six cups of coffee and dad has two more than mom. How many cups does dad have? And then we have compare difference unknown. Joni has 78 beads and Ida has 92 beads. How many more does Ida have? And then compare referent unknown. Romy has 89 Legos in her tower, which is seven more than Lewis. How many Legos does Lewis have in his tower? I find that this group of problems trips up most people. (laughs) These problems can seem really overwhelming and make teachers think that students must be taught exactly how to solve these, deduced down to circling the quantities and following the steps. However, if students are given time to explore and an authentic reason to solve, then they have the life experiences and knowledge of how to do this. And even if they don't, the mistakes they make, they will be able to learn from more than mistakes they made on following directions on following the steps we told them to do. These are actually very common problems in life. Kids are running races or playing with cars, throwing balls. Play includes a lot of student comparing. Siblings compare all the time. So as teachers, it's not about teaching them exactly the steps to follow to solve these. You know, like line up the drawings, count up or cross off. No, no, no. But instead, it's about asking the right questions making sure students understand what they're being asked. The best thing you can do with problem types as you're launching, maybe a more complex problem type, is to get students asking questions and wondering about the problem. This isn't something I always do in the launch, but it's one way to help students break down the problem and truly understand it. Get your students asking questions. What do you wonder? They might say things like, "Uh, how many does Romy have? Wait, but does that mean Lewis has more or less? Does that mean Romy's tower is bigger? Right? So these questions are going to lead students to thinking about the situation, which will help them in their solving. So to wrap up, today we discussed addition and subtraction problem types. We're going to have to come back and talk about multiplication and division because we have a whole episode. Like there's enough to talk about for a whole episode. So stay tuned for that. We talked about how the problem type is determined by the location of the unknown. Some are more complex than others based on that location of the unknown. Having students write an equation to match their work and the problem helps students draw connections and notice patterns in operations. These make for lively math discussions. And compare problems are often complex. So try to find those real-world scenarios that your students can relate to. That'll help them get what you mean by compare. And a launch strategy can help students understand the problem. It'll help them by wondering and asking questions about the problem so that they're ready to try some things in their solving. And my hope is that this episode feels really actionable and helpful as you think about the types of problems you're giving your students. Many times our curriculums spend one or maybe two days on each problem type, which isn't enough. Students need lots of time to explore and refine their strategies and approaches to problems. Consider using a problem-solving routine to allow your students to interact with these real-world problems daily. 
I teach CGI and math discussions in Word Problem Workshop. And if this is a way of teaching that you'd like to bring into your classroom, be on the lookout for more information soon about the Word Problem Workshop teacher training. Well, that was your dose of Honest Math Chat for today, friend. Thanks so much for listening. It would mean so much to me if you subscribed, shared this podcast with your friend, or leave a comment. (laughs) If you have not downloaded my free guide that I made in response to the questions you have all about engaging your students in math discussions, go grab it, monamath.com slash discussions. And if you have other questions that I haven't answered, shoot me a DM on Instagram at hellomonamath. I can't wait to chat more with you next week. Remember, we're here every Monday. I'm always listening on my way to work. When do you listen? See you soon, friend.